0: This podcast has been brought to you by the Pumping Marvellous Foundation. In our series of podcasts, talking to people about heart failure, we look beyond the cardiologist and delve into what makes people tick. What's their secret sauce? The elixir that drives people to overcome and conquer extreme situations. Heart failure
1: and beyond. What's your name and where'd you come from? Okay. I am Daniel Smith, and I live in Nottingham.
0: Whereabouts is Nottingham, Dan?
1: Nottingham is right in the centre of the UK, um, near Birmingham to the east. No, oh, Birmingham's to the west, isn't it? Birmingham to the west, and Leicester to the south.
0: So, what's Nottingham famous for? Lace and
1: Robin Hood. Is that like the Sheriff of Nottingham and Robin Hood and... That's it, yeah. Forest? <laughs> Catherine Nottingham in the city centre is where the sheriff lived. And Notting- and uh, his name? Robin Hood lived in this Sherwood forest. But if you come from Sheffield, they believe he comes from there. And they're all weird. Why, why do people from Sheffield think that Robin Hood comes from Sheffield? Well, you'd have to ask someone from
0: Sheffield. But that's what they believe. Oh, OK. OK. So, take us right back to the start. What were you like as a child? As a child? a really,
1: got a really interesting God.
0: answer here. Come
1: I don't... I, I don't think I can remember. Quite shy, really. And a bit of a loner. I really... I kind of never remember... I had mean, lots of friends to play with. I was always on my own, really. Um, really embarrassed about my hair. I had the massivest white curly afro you could imagine. Um, uh, like the hair
0: bear bunch. That cartoon, yeah. like the hair bear bunch. It's
1: just like... Yeah. yeah. Um... That was it, really. Just, just I like to. I like watching war films. Actually, I remember that, and then re, re, recreating them on the park, on my, by myself. <laughs> what was your favourite war film? Then? Oh, I don't know the names of them. I like the ones where they were like in, um, like warships, and they used to sink. have. I was pretending I was sinking in a warship. I do remember that? Was there a pond in these in the in this park? You didn't get in the pond, no. did you? No, no, we did have, the uh, River Trent was really close by, um, I lived in a little area, which is almost like a, a, a village in a town, it was kind of cut off by the Trent one side, and then the railway um, trapped the other side, and there two bridges in and out, that was it, and uh, we always used to go and have a, in the summer, play in the water, right near the bottom of the, um, the Weir, at Beeston Weir, which we not be able to do now, because there's been a few uh, incidents there recently, but that's what we used to do.
0: So I, I know told, you. Re-
1: I, I, go on, sorry. I recently told my mum that, and, she, and and she 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 went well, white as a ghost. She said, like, "I didn't know that, Daniel. Or if I did, you know, <laughs> she looked horrified." But it's right so, to be as well because it's very dangerous. You know?
0: So I know you really well, and I suppose have you ever grown up? I don't know, because uh, you're a bundle of fun most of the time. And um what did you want to be when you grew up? When you left your teenage years, what did you want to? What did you want to be?
1: Would you believe that I wanted to be a policeman, but an American copper? And I think that's, well, I think that sprung from watching Chips, if you remember Chips. Yeah. Do you remember that? California California Highway Patrol. Yeah. Yeah, that sort of thing. And then um, a little bit of Miami Vice, which I shouldn't have been watching at that age, but I did. Um, Tops and
0: Crockett, white suits, Yeah.
1: I just, I just had the idea that's what I wanted to do yeah
0: so like a real glamorous life but as a as a police but a policeman
1: or police person yeah I think I got put off though a little bit later on when I realised what police in the America would have actually been like
0: well Chips used to have big Harley Davidsons didn't they yeah so that was probably two, what I was called, two main you know? characters and mm. uh, Miami Vice was Crockett and Tubbs and um, <laughs> they had fast cars and- yep yeah drug stuff so um what, what what okay so what kind of student were you what were you like at school
1: at school well i'm told that i was intelligent enough to have been able to have done everything the asked of me but bored of being able to do it so i messed around i wasn't i wasn't a bad kid like um you know setting fire to the place stuff like that but um, i just mess around the class clown really just making people laugh you know going one one step further than my mate in 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 terms of being daft and so so you weren't daft but how many detentions did you get i think they had a special room trouble? i think no i had my own room, room. room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and then i do remember that the teachers used to check we used to have to line outside the classroom before we were allowed to go in. And they used to check me out before I was let in the classroom. And if they seen I was in a certain mood, they would just send me straight to the um to my special room. Really? Yep, yeah, that's what <laughs> sometimes I didn't even make it through the door. Yeah. crikey!
0: Well right. one time that
1: as well. Yeah, yeah. One time I remember I got kicked out of one class. Standing, you know, I used to stand at the door. Hope they had mastered didn't walk past. And then the the um, another teacher came out of another class, so I went in there and sat under her table. And then she came back, and I was there for the rest of the lesson. Obviously, the the students could see me. They were laughing their heads off, and they, she had no clue I was there. <laughs> oh
0: dear! So you're a bit of a joker.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I never did anything bad though you so How would you How would you describe yourself now as a person? Um, probably exactly the same. <laughs> oh, okay. But yeah, probably exactly the same. Really. Well, I, I can. I've um, got a little bit of a filter now. So. So what would how would your kids describe you? You got two boys, yeah. Yeah, they'd, they'd probably describe me as extremely embarrassing.
0: Embarrassing, embarrassing
1: for them or embarrassing for you? Well, embarrassing for them. Um, the when I don't know, it's difficult because whilst they were you know from sort of five to 16, what Harvey is now, they they I was you know used a mobility scooter a lot, and I know Harvey used to be a little bit embarrassed about that, but you know, there's nothing he could do about it. He he kind of sucked that up, but. Um, And I I wasn't really being, I couldn't really be myself, you know, but I've just been away recently and now, you know, I've been doing daft things there and um, I think he's found that worse. He's found that that worse. I think he'd rather have me sitting on a mobility scooter, not saying anything and sitting in the rubber ring with a great big massive surfer hat on.
0: So it sounds Please. as though you've got, like, two parts of your life there. So we'll delve into that a little bit in a little bit. And um, I think I know what that looks like. Um, but uh, in any part of your life, is there anything that you'd like to change? And what would you want to change it to?
1: Well, we can't change the past, can you? Um,
0: now... Well if, well, if I gave you a, a sooty, isy-wizzy stick, yeah? Yeah. What would you
1: change? I would like to... Before I got heart failure, I, obviously I was I had quite a decent job and I was setting up a life for myself and the kids, and that was abruptly ended when I got heart failure, and they were left. They in that the first house I bought was a two bedroom house, and um, the kids had to share a bedroom, and they still share a bedroom. Sixteen and twelve, which is understandably is difficult for two teenage boys to do, but that wouldn't have been the case if I was still working and. I would have been out you know you would have progressed uh so i would have i would change that i would change the fact that they would have been able to live in a house where they both got their own bedroom and i would have been able to have been more of the person that i wanted to be more of the father i wanted to be with 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 them through those years you know 5 to 16
0: Knowing you well, I know that's a common theme, and that's been a common theme for years about being yep. being the the father you you wanted to be for your two boys. That's very important to you. Yep. And even when you were really symptomatic and you were really ill, you always used to take them to football, even though you used to yep. get you used to get your mobility scooter stuck in the muck. That's it. <laughs> yep. Um. So, tell us. There's quite a lot of people probably maybe know you um through our community and they know Dan and but what don't they know about you? What don't I know about you? What's what's keep it keep it above board legit, legal and clean?
1: I I, I don't think there is anything. I um I am that an open person. You you know everything. Kate knows absolutely everything. <laughs> Um, but no i don't think there's anything you guys that don't know really
0: i think i found something that i didn't know was that when you had heart failure you were you were person x and i'll tell, tell everybody now that you had a transplant uh in 2021 back end of 2021 mm-hmm. um and you've changed
1: yeah i feel uh, like
0: for the better. Yeah. But you change for the better. You, um, you were very much, um, a patient. Yeah. Um, and you were very old for a number of years. Um, and I'm not saying you've got a fresh outlook, but, um,
1: I don't know. I mean, it, it's not a fresh outlook. I, I, I'm, I'm finding it quite difficult to discover who I am now. I don't, fully remember the person I was before heart failure. I remember who I was f- through the ten years of having heart failure, but now it's 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 a complete new start, and there's lots of things that i w- I, I want to get rid of from them years with heart failure and I don't really have any direction and I'm, I'm desperately trying to find some somewhere where I can you know get that advice to try and find a direction 45 46 I think maybe even 47 I don't know (laughs) I I forgot um but as far as the future's concerned I, I, I don't know what it is I can't see it at the moment so I think I think what we'd like to maybe
0: sort of explore is somebody who had a um who clearly had a defined thought process of what life looked like going forward and then bang yeah, heart failure. Yeah, do you want to talk us through those ten years, including what what happened
1: in terms of the transplant? Oh, um, I guess when when I first got my diagnosis, and I don't, you know, I want to go through the whole diagnosis, do you? But just, when just, when just, just,
0: yeah, just talk to me about you know in, what people may find interesting, or just just be
1: yourself, Dan. Well, I think when, when, when I was first diagnosed and um, I came out of hospital back home again, I found it really, really difficult to take, well, not take on the lifestyle of being, you know, somebody ill who couldn't go to work. I feel like when you are at work, you're kind of indoctrinated to that work lifestyle and it takes over everything. You know, you're working sometimes seven days a week. You're missing out on the kids growing up, all the things that they do at school, school plays and what have you. And life's passing you by. And all you, don't, you all you seem to do at night when you go to, to sleep is think about what you've got to do at work the next day. Well, that was the case for me. And it took me a long time for that to go away. I remember coming home from the hospital and thinking, still thinking in my head, what jobs I've got to do and how I was going to do them. And, I, you know, how long had I been off work at that point? Gosh. But a few months. And um, it was very strange. And I even tried to go back to work, which was impossible. And then lasted a couple of weeks. I came off again. And then um, then obviously you run your money runs low and you need to turn to the benefit system, which is... Very difficult to do as well when you you are a proud man who, you know, works for a living, and you've often, you know, maybe turned your nose up at people that take the benefits, in the past, and you don't want to do it. And I was I talked into it by my heart failure nurse and my mum who said there was people, you know, as a family we've paid into that system all our lives and nobody's ever needed to use it, and you do need to use it now. So, so it was a good couple of years actually before I signed on to any benefit system um and that was that was difficult and then now now it's coming around to me having to go back to work the thought terrifies me and um, and it's not that i'm not a person that doesn't want to work i do want to go back to work but i don't know how i'm going to cope I, I, it's going to be the same it's going i'm now in a mindset where 10 years without going to work it's almost like i've been i've been retired i've been work for for yourself and pumping marvelous as a volunteer um that's kind of different so uh, this is another reason why i feel a little bit lost of what what my future is going to be
0: so you were you were really ill for i've had some real emotional roller coasters with you yeah um because i cared cared for what happened to you Mm -hmm. um and you were really, I've known you since 2014, 2015, 2014, mm-hmm. 2015. So there's a lot of good water under the bridge, um, a lot of sad times, um, a lot of soul searching, um, a lot of that sort of stuff. I think I'd like to ask you a real, uh, maybe I can only ask you this question. Maybe only I maybe has have, have the Understanding to ask you this question, but I think this is an important question because you know full well, pumping marvelous is about positive behavior and trying to trying to manage your heart failure as much as you can. Uh, Mm. Sometimes it becomes really, 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 really difficult. Uh, I was trying to sort something out, as you know. I was flying to, so I'm the CEO and founder of the charity, and I. before the pandemic, I, I used to fly all over the world. And I, um, I was going out to Washington, D.C. to a conference. I was speaking out there and doing stuff. And, and I was still trying to sort something out to help you when we were taxiing on the runway at Heathrow. Um, and that sticks in my mind that um, you really needed help. We um, yeah. only had, had a real rough time, really rough time. But I'm going to ask you this question. Um, <clears throat> you know how tight knit the patient educators are. So the pa- mm-hmm. patient educators at Pumped Marvelous are are people who volunteer their time. Um, you know, it could be half an hour a year, or could be a couple of hours a week. Um, and we got close to some patient educators really close to people and we do get we do know them all quite well and when you were ill three died yeah and when i'm talking ill valuable listeners i you know i'm talking about you know very ill severely ill um you couldn't operate as a human being basically because you were so symptomatic with heart failure and mentally and emotionally it was getting tough. This is obviously prior to the transplant. Yeah. Um, how, how did that impact you when we lost three really good friends within the space of 12
1: months? Um, I guess, um, 12 months before the transplant and I, I knew that i was heading in that direction for the transplant um i i was i was, it made me think twice about actually surviving the operation because one of the well two of the people that i knew that 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 passed away didn't survive their their operation um and before when i was told i may need transplant, I was quite blase about it. Yeah, come on, let, let's get it done. And, uh, you know, whenever whenever it's needed, let's do it. But now, when when that happened, it did make me worry. About the operation, where maybe if I was a little bit less knowledgeable, I wouldn't have done. I think what we need to
0: take into consideration as well is that all the way through all the time I've known you, you've been focused on your two boys. Yeah. And did you realise that maybe you didn't have a choice?
1: Um Okay. oh No, actually, I thought that I thought that I, I was this is how it was gonna go for me. I was gonna get into the hospital I was going to lose the weight that was required and I was going to be given an, an, an LVAD which would mean and that a, i could call an LVAD is less ventricular assist device which, which the one... basically takes over the pumping mm. of your heart yeah a mobile one also known as a bridge to transplant so and I thought that I would be wearing that and walking around feeling relatively well with it and um, getting my body into a position where it was in a A good position for me to have the transplant, and then and then I would, you know, go on another transplant. I I thought that that was the path that would would happen. What I didn't realize was how quickly I was going to go to the point of needing a transplant. But alongside that came a lot of mental health problems whilst I was in the hospital, and it was it was a real shock which didn't sink in when the consultant was sitting at the side of my bed saying. Daniel, I'm not sure you're going to make it to Papworth, and I think you should maybe think about putting your affairs in order and think about making a will. And to hear that, it still, it still makes me get cold. Now, it's such a difficult thing to to process as well. But even then, I didn't think, I didn't think that that was going to happen. I didn't think that I was going to die. Even at that point. Um lost my train of thought now. So yeah, it's still it still didn't seem real. Not and then when i got even when I got even worse and um, had it what is it carcinogenic shock that happened and they had to give me a balloon pump and they sent me to Papworth. You no, know, I told my mum that. They didn't think I'd make the journey to with, but I did. Uh, a few days later, I remember waking up with a, with an with an Elvad. Uh, sorry, BiVad. Um, you know, I was stuck in in ICU on the on the BiVad. What's bumping, BiVad a, there? device. So, left and right side. And that was what was keeping me alive. And that 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 time was when I realised, you know, this this is it now. I have no choice. I'm not leaving this ICU. Unless I get a new heart. That's the only choice. Uh, God, how does that affect you? I, I, I really can't. I really don't think I had massive thoughts about it. I just kind of just accept everything that's being said at that point. And even at some points, I think I, I accepted that I, will, I I may not make it. I think I even wrote a a, uh, a post once on Facebook or something saying that you know I don't think I'm going to win this fight this time. And then, um, but that, that's a strange feeling as well because I think you I think I'm kind of mentally prepared to die. Because whereas before, everything I thought about was family and children and things they hadn't done, things going to left behind them thoughts had gone away and and I was quite ready at points in Papworth ICU to just accept what's going to happen. If I don't wake up, I don't wake up and I wasn't upset. It's was a strange feeling to have. But of course then, you know, a heart came and I went on and had the transplant. Bit of a difficult recovery at first, but getting stronger now, so
0: See, I always thought that your, when you and I used to talk, that that, uh, I used to dismiss it a little bit. Um, But your destiny was a transplant because of what that nurse said to you. What that nurse said to you in 2015,
1: 2014?
0: 2013,
1: just as I was leaving hospital. And she said, you'll probably get nine, ten years with the medication, and then you'll need your transplant. And it's actually spot on. (laughs) I told them that when I got back to Papua. They just gave me a bit of a wry smile. Um, Yeah. I I always felt, though, I always felt that I was worse than other people with heart failure that were around me. Even a certain somebody which was very, very ill and told that they were definitely going to die. And I used to perplex me that people were walking around quite well, and I, and I struggled. You mean our,
0: our trips to London.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, people were pacing away in front of me, and I was really out of breath. Like most of the time, I didn't get very often when I. there was a short period, 2019, where I was using the e-bike, and I felt really fit and well. They're fitting well as I had fitting. As well as I had done for a lot many years, but that was short lived um
0: but you went downhill, didn't you really really quickly i mean yeah literally yeah. overnight i mean um we won't talk about that because obviously, but um you did i mean you were you were using the e bike you were having your life was starting to piece together a little bit, and then yeah. suddenly, sort of between August and september twenty nineteen Yeah. Life turned to SHIT. It's
1: very quickly started to go downhill. And that was just the course my heart was going to take. I think the drugs had had done their job for as long as they could do. And there was nothing else. There was no more therapy that that was available to keep me, you know, living. Well, I don't think my quality of life was that great. But a certain quality of life I had. But I always so had that. It? On, go I go always on. thought that I could live, I could have lived with the heart failure and the drugs the, with the life I had if I didn't feel ill. But I felt ill a lot of the time. Like, um, you know, the symptoms of heart failure, of breathlessness and difficulty walking around and what have you. But I also felt. Describe, um, describe
0: to the listeners what, what those symptoms, how those symptoms made you feel. Because I don't think people really, really get
1: it. But I didn't what? experience any pain. I it, it, I just felt, gosh, like really le- lethargic and just something was wrong. Not like um, like if you've got a cold coming or a virus coming. Before that's fully blown hit you, the, how you feel just before that. But all the time I felt like that. And that really, that really grinds grinds you down. I, for, for me, it did, and that that was that affected my mental health a lot more than I think being restricted in movement.
0: So that was the breathlessness. It was the constant fatigue. It was the, the tiredness. Um, yeah. t- tiredness. The whole. Yeah. Uh, Uh, fluid onboarding, you know, where's this fluid coming from? Yeah. Uh, And the impact on your, on your appetite and the impact on you as a person as well. Um, I mean, how much, how much weight, how heavy were you before and what are you now?
1: Well, I used to sit comfortably about 13 stone, 13, 14 stone when, before heart failure. I worked manual job, so, and I was, kept myself quite in check that way, but then I managed to eventually hit 17 stone when when I first went downhill last year, and then the, I think I put another couple of stone on that of fluid by the time, you know, what was that, October last, no, September-ish last year, so I was about nineteen, nineteen
0: twenty you looking at 19,
1: 19 yeah. 20 stone, then. yeah. And then came out of hospital around about 13 stone. I've actually put a little bit back on now. Um, 13 and a half, getting on from 14 again. But that is a lot to do with some of the medication. And obviously, my appetite's come back a little bit. so I wasn't eating anything there. But you have to eat, don't you? Other I
0: think you've got a bit of catching up to do, haven't you?
1: Yeah. yeah. So, so it's not really healthy. to lose the weight that quickly. But certainly feel a lot better for it. Mentally and physically.
0: How how did the... What's been the impact on your children?
1: I think... I think... I don't know. I'm not sure because that's all they've known. Jack, who was really small when I first got heart failure, he's only ever known me like like i was harvey probably can't really remember you know i was but i was working a lot so i didn't get to do that much with them anyway so i think i what they've missed out on is the fact that i haven't been able to do what i wanted to do with it which would have been a lot of outdoor things um so i don't know how that would have how that's impacted them if they don't really know that that's what it would have been does that make any sense yeah. So absolutely. So yeah. I just think that they, yeah, they've missed out. They've missed out on, on, you know, an active, an active father.
0: How do you feel now? How do you feel now?
1: I feel bitter that that's the case, um, and I've, I wish I had those years back. That, well, you know, I could have. Lots of things I could have done with them. There's going to be different things I can do with them now. You know, now they're getting older, but I do I do feel bitter, and I can't I can't um, I can't change that. But but then there is um, there is some ups about it. I'm not you know I'm, I I managed to do the school run every day, so I picked my kids up from school, and I saw all the concerts. They did, Christmas concerts and those sorts of things. So those things that I I got to do, what other dads miss. So much more, spent much more time with them than, than what our working father would do as well.
0: So there's a sort of a peculiar, yeah. positive, positive element
1: to yeah. it. Yeah, there is, yeah.
0: We've heard that a lot, or we hear that a lot. Yeah. That it, it resets people and gives them an opportunity to do things that they never could have done because of the commitments they have at work.
1: Yeah.
0: Whether that actually overrides it as a positive overriding effect of all the negative stuff, I don't know. But um, no. so I know you're a bit of a cook. Ooh. So I know you can cook, so I'm not gonna ask you whether you can cook. Because I think are you the winner of one of our competitions mm. on the
1: heart uh, on the, I real, won real the share group? I won the Caribbean week. I did. So I what got, did you do? I did. I, well, I kept it really simple. I thought that I'd have a bit of fun, and um, I made what was I called a Caribbean platter, I think, and it was just it was like just a burger, but a jerk chicken burger. Um, I did some spicy corn on the cob thing and a rum punch, I think, um, some sweet potato fries. Some. Uh, and well, this is when you were really. Well, do you know what I was just thinking, that because I've got all the photos I took, and I did a lot of cooking. Nine two thousand nineteen, early twenty twenty one as well, actually. And I've got a lot of pictures, and some of the food that I was making looked looked really good. I mean, you guys never got to taste it. No, not always tasted that good, but <laughs> I think it looked. I think I think it looked really good, and I am now quite astonished about how I managed to do that. But I just remember that you would take me all day, I would have to do a little bit, and then I would sit down for a long time, then I'd do some more, and I would make a heck of a mess in the kitchen, and my, my dad would clean up at the end, and he, he would moan about it. There would be a real, a real mess. And I'd, I'd try to look how to percent things on the Internet, but not copy anything, just so I get so out basic, of
0: some, Basically, your, your foods. took a whole day. To make it, prepare,
1: yeah. make it. Never yeah. mind the sauce, the sauce. Even the simple things, even simple things like a, a, a shepherd's pie would take me all day to make, yeah. I would get because. tired chopping the onion. Chopping the onion would make me tired. And then I would chop the onion and then I would wait a little bit and then chop the rest of the veggies and then i put them on one side. Actually, my dad would probably peel the potatoes for me, if I remember. So if you're
0: listening to this, this is this is you know this isn't unique this is uh, this happens to a lot of people with heart failure that there's no energy uh, there's just no energy and what are very simple menial tasks become mountains to climb um mm. and that's really quite insightful that you shared that with us that it takes it, you know it takes an hour to chop an onion rather than rather than a minute
1: I would so, sit down to do it as well and it, it, I would do it really slowly. And, you know, if anybody was watching you think what well, what is that guy doing there? <laughs> but but you, I used you, to enjoy it Yeah, you employ coping mechanisms, don't you? Yeah. And I needed to do that because that was I needed to do things. And I was quite crafty with my hands. I've always done little crafts and what have you So I, I I enjoyed doing it, although although it was tiring, it took so long.
0: What's your favourite food then? Um. And has it
1: changed? No, I do like I, I like I like Thai and Indian food. The, the best.
0: You're only good at making it.
1: I am now Indian food. I found a way of making Indian food, which um, is called um, what's it called? B I R. They call it British Indian restaurant style. So it's not; it's a little bit different to what traditional um, home Indian cooking would be. It's all about it's all about making food that can preparing the food so it can be it can be served quickly in like an Indian takeaway or a restaurant. So it ta- when you when you make it, it actually does taste authentic, like a like a like a takeaway, which is a real surprise for home cooking because it's difficult to recreate what you you know the yeah. taste of a, a as you know yourself um so yeah i enjoyed doing that um a little bit different to cooking you know authentic indian food.
0: okay so we've we've come to the end of the podcast but i'm gonna i've got a question to ask you um okay you've been you i know i know you've been through hell and back yeah um and um, for many, for for two to three years, obviously through the pandemic, you we didn't see each other. We used to see each other probably once every couple of months. We uh, used yeah. to talk to each other a lot. It became very very difficult. So social isolation, mental health, plus the symptoms that you had with heart failure, and you know a lot of the, the real negativity that was going around at that time. Certainly with the three friends that died. In different circumstances, um, and how that related to you as an individual, you know the the problems that the pandemic caused. Um, So you you must have some real, some secret source. And what's we call secret secret sources is 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 what makes Dan tick. What what can you share with us that may help other people? Maybe go, I get that, I get that, I'm sort of like that. So how did you get through all
1: this, Dan? What was your secret sauce? Do you know, through that period, the 10 years and the lockdown, Pumping Marvellous made me tick. Actually, actually talking about my illness, speaking to people about their illnesses, actually being able to help people by giving them advice. Everything that I did... That was involved with Marvel was like a therapy, that made me tick on on a more personal side. Following my football team, Nottingham Forest, and um, doing what I could with my children.
0: You did well um, on Sunday,
1: and what? Yeah, I did well on Sunday,
0: and then um, I was what, I was, what, I, was what, I was gonna te- I was gonna I was gonna text you or WhatsApp you and say congratulations. But I thought no, oh, hopefully you won't. Not with what Liverpool's doing at the moment, anyway. But we'll bypass that one.
1: We watched it at, in least, a KFC at least at least so on the Isle of Wight.
0: at least we don't support another uh, another red team, which is in between no. you and I no no' oh, sorry, they were playing <laughs> in line green
1: True. So, yeah that that that's it really now now I think um I think. That's a difficult one. I really, I really am struggling to, 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 to see what my future is. I need a little bit longer to figure that out. But it will still be Forrest and, and, and Jack and Harvey and some more work with yourselves. So Dan's still trying to find out Get what his secret
0: sauce is. He may be able to make you a secret sauce. That's on the uh, burger secret sauce. But, um, that might be my future, a secret can source. I, can, I, can I give you my insights of what maybe your secret source may look like? Mm-hmm. So I think you think using individual, I think you're a kind, I think you're quite a kind and caring person um, and you're always willing to help others. Um, and I think because you tapped into a peer-to-peer support group, um, the one of your coping strategies was that you're always you could always pick up the phone or you could always interact or, or whatever that looked like with people who were living with the same condition as you. And I think that that your, some of your secret ingredients in your secret sauce because I think you have probably got lots of different quite complex um, was that you found that peer-to-peer support. And that pulled you through. Absolutely. Because, and I, because yeah. what, what happened when you were at Papworth, um, people never see this, but we were all rooting for you and you knew that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. If, if someone had said to me before illness um, and I needed some help with something, you know, do some therapy, do some peer-to-peer support, I would have scoffed at it. I would have. I was a typical man on the building site. Oh, I don't need that. There's no, no, that's not going to help me. And when I did need it, and I used it, it worked. And I would now advocate anybody struggling whatever, mental health or, you know, physical health, then seek out peer-to-peer support. So there you go.
0: We've had, we've had a We've had an in-depth, quite a really quite in-depth and quite emotional conversation um, between two friends, basically, because I have known Dan for a long time, and I've got a lot of time for Dan and his and his children and his mum and dad and whatever. And, um, and he knows my family and, yep. you know, and he's stayed over. And when well, he's been doing some volunteering for the charity, he's also a trustee of the charity um and his insights are super super valuable. So we got here Dan who um, was diagnosed 10 years ago nearly. Um, he was an electrician, had a you know qualified electrician, had ambitions uh, around his children, and he still has those ambitions and still that's what drives him. Uh, from day to day, he lives in Nottingham. Uh, he can cook. Um, mm-hmm. He prior to him going downhill in 2019, he uh, used his e-bike a lot, um, and then suddenly overnight in August September 2019, he went downhill and he lived through the pandemic with serious um, uh, serious heart belly symptoms, uh, including. Breathlessness and fatigue and um, also uh, fluid retention Um, at a time when the NHS was super stretched and uh, maybe, I'm not saying drop the ball on Dan, but maybe uh, because of the pandemic and how much pressure, maybe Dan should have got something a little bit earlier. Um, but he didn't, he was assessed, uh, for transplant and he had a transplant and I'm talking to him now. Um, he's just driven back from the Isle of White, uh, mm-hmm. with his two boys he's been camping with. They still think he's nuts and a bit daft, <laughs> but you know, that's what Dan's about. So I'd like to thank Dan. I'm probably going to speak to Dan, uh, in the next couple of days or whatever, anyway, or one of us will, um, because we're so close to him. So thank you very much, Dan been a pleasure uh having this conversation with you
1: thank you
0: this doesn't happen by magic so if you like what you hear please donate to support our cause visit just giving and search
1: for the pumping marvelous foundation every penny counts heart failure and beyond